15. What a blessing to be here with you. Shall we all stand, please? As we get started this morning, I just want to worship the Lord with you and just praise him for his bountiful gifts towards us. In Psalms 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make boast in the Lord and he alone. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So, Father God, we do just want to exalt your name together today, Lord, just to sing your praises forevermore. We just love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Father, we do ask that your consuming fire just fall upon us right now as we worship you with everything that we have.
praise God. Thank you, God. We bless your name, God. Holy Father, precious Jesus, spirit that moves and works in our heart, we lift you up. And we thank you that you are always by our side. You are faithful. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, and knowing every victim you were with us. And kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way.
Father, we just worship you for that. We praise you for that. And we're here to lift up, lift up your name. And Father, we just ask that you would receive our worship. Our worship as we stand here and sing. Our worship as we pray to you. Our worship as we sit before you and hear your word. Father, that we would allow you just to, to minister to our hearts, to change our minds, to encourage us, to correct us. So, Father, we just give this morning to you that it would be a blessing to you as much to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys go and have a seat and take out your bulletins. We have Sunday morning services at 10 a.m., Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Our midweek studies are on Thursdays at 7 and then just a quick note, if you look at the little colored tabs on the side there for the men and the women in high school and all that, don't forget we got our high school retreat coming up at the end of this month. Keep it in prayer as our high schoolers go out there and as they're ministered to by, by God's word and as they're trained, just keep them in prayer as they do that and, and the families that are home to let the kids go. Uh, and then uh, also there, uh, the women's study is going to be resuming on Tuesday the 9th and Wednesday morning the 10th. And, of course, we have men's study every Saturday morning, men's study um, Wednesday mornings at 6.30. We're in the book of Acts with Pastor Mike, and we also get a great breakfast in the morning. So I encourage you, gentlemen, if you can get there, great. And then uh, the men's study, uh, what's happening, will actually resume in February with Pastor Mike. So, guys, get ready for that. And if you look in under events, just a quick reminder, we'll have a couple available for prayer over here on your right after service. You want to lift up anything to the Lord, they'll do that with you. And then uh, there's a couple opportunities to serve in the sound and presentation ministries and also children's ministry on Sunday morning. So uh, if you're not plugged in anywhere, time to get plugged in and let, let the Lord use you. Uh, and then uh, we've got, uh, and we'll talk about the Valentine's dinner coming up because Richard's going to do that. And we'll talk about the great food or the great comedy or the great message that's going to be there. Or the fact that it's only $40 a couple to enjoy your spouse that night on the 17th. But we'll hear from Richard on that. Uh, don't forget also door-to-door -door ministry goes out once a month. They go out the last Saturday of each month. Uh, this time it'll be on the 28th. Season of Sorrows, back in the regular groove of things. Their next meeting is Monday the 8th and then following on the 22nd. And that's a, a ministry there, ministering to those who have suffered a loss of, of a loved one. Uh, turn with me, if you would, Matthew 23, 23. We looked at this verse last week, but I'll, I'll read it again. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tie the mint of anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And the others is, he's talking about the tithing, the 10%, but I want you to imagine, you know, how many of you guys have a spice cupboard? Everybody got a spice cupboard? Okay, I want you to imagine going through that cupboard. Now, I've got a big spice. There's, imagine taking 10% of everything, 10% of all the different spices. Okay, this is the Lord, and I'm dedicating my spices to the Lord. And all of a sudden, you've got these priests that have done that, so they can't, give it to anybody else. They won't give it to anybody in need or what, oh no, only a priest can eat this because I've dedicated it to the Lord and yet I've given 10%. I've done exactly what I needed to do. Think about the aromatic stuff. Well, the essential oils and all, how many of you guys do that? 10%. We'll give that to the Lord. Oh, I can't share it with anybody else. So this is where their hearts were. And this is what the Lord says in Psalm 51. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. It all starts with the heart. It's not all those little things. Although the Lord says, you know, doing the things is good, but it's the heart. It's a heart matter. So with that said, the ushers will come forward to receive our, our tithes and offerings if we're prepared. You can leave it with them. Otherwise, you can drop them in the copy box. Thank you, and God bless.
Earth 
has quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice And seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard My eyes are on you Through it all, through it all it is well Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you And it is well with me
Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And bless you, God. Shall we all stand, please? Through that cross is how we're made well. It's that forgiveness that covers all of our sin and shame.
Father, I pray that we would be reminded what it means to come to the cross. It's a fresh awareness, Lord, that our sins have been washed away. It's a fresh awareness, Lord, of the sinners that we are, but the Savior that you are. It's a fresh awareness of grace and the love of God that was displayed to all of humanity. And Father, I pray that that knowledge would go before us in this new year, that we would glorify you, Father, through all that we do. And so, Lord, in order to achieve those purposes, we gather together, in this particular case on a Sunday morning, to be taught and instructed. And so, Lord, just bless us through your word once more, that you would guide us and that you would speak to us in very real and practical ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday! There's only one New Year. <laughs> Happy birthday? Oh, okay. We just had a birthday. I don't need another one. Before we get started, um, Richard is going to come up and say a few words about our Valentine's banquet. I'll be right here behind you. Every word that I say, right? Well, good morning. You've heard the announcement, the announcement that wasn't supposed to be made, right? But Sean, really, he covered a lot of detail, so I'll just go over it real quickly again. We are planning our Valentine's dinner for February 17th at 6 p.m. It's going to be a very special evening uh, with uh, catered food, some great entertainment, and, of course, some hilarious comedy, which is always a, a good part of the, uh, the evening. But there's one more thing. This is real, real important. And I want to speak to the men just for a moment. So, ladies, just cover your ears. You didn't hear this, okay? Guys, I want to challenge you for this Valentine's dinner to put together a one-minute video. A one-minute video that we'll show that night. And it's just a, a one-minute greeting for your wife. And uh, I'll tell you, if you accept this challenge, you will benefit. Your wife will love it, and it'll bless your marriage. I've, uh, I've done this with some small groups in the past, and, and it was really a major a serious a blessing. So if you put that together, we're going to make it as easy as possible. Okay, we're going to be set up in the high school room uh, immediately after service, within five, no later than ten minutes after service, and we got to get the high schoolers out of there. Uh, we'll be set up beginning next week um, for the next three Sundays. So that's on the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th. We will be able to uh, begin recording. Now, some of the guys were ready today, and, uh, and, and they want to, uh, they're, they're ready to do it. I've been talking to a number of guys for uh, probably three or four weeks now, and some of the guys are really excited about this. So, uh, again, guys, uh, on the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th, we'll start the recording, and it's just a one-minute video, and if you go past two minutes, we'll cut you off, okay? So, again, uh, the challenge is to the husbands. Love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, again, you will benefit, your wife will love it, and your marriage will be blessed. So uh, come on out, sign up for this special evening, and then come and record your message. Thank you.
Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, and you need a Bible, raise your hands, and the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Up front. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll start reading at verse 30, and we're going to go all the way to verse 34 today. So funny. You have little faith. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became vigilant in battle, valiant in battle, and turned to fight the same armies of the aliens. Father, we see those who have gone before us, Lord, and the great things that you achieved through them. And Father, this is all you asked of us, is that we would have faith. And it's not faith in who we are, it's not faith in what we're able to do, but it's faith in what you do through a humbled people. And so, Father, as we present ourselves in this place, I just pray, Father, it would be for the purpose of being strengthened for your purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. It's not a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, we are told that the just shall live by faith, that those who are seen just as if they have never sinned in the sight of God we must conduct our lives and what God is able to do and what God does do through people whose lives are sold out to him. The subject here in Hebrews chapter 11 has not been saving faith, but the subject is acting faith. Acting faith moves from concept to reality through testing processes. And what we've been looking at are those who have gone before us and the testing processes that have gone on in their lives that display acting faith. Again, trusting in God, but not just randomly trusting in God, but trusting in God specifically in what they have called or what God has called them to do. And so again, it is all based upon God's word and reacting in faith to God. Tested faith is the revealing of reality of where our true trust of God lies. And it's based upon maturity. A mature person is going to trust in God for the greater degree of most things in their lives. Nobody's got perfect faith. The less mature, well, they're learning and they're moving along, but we're all at some point in our Christian lives looking to the Lord and understanding the might of God and learning about those things, what it means to trust in God so you're willing to take that step of faith. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, we know when we take that step of faith that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So in the light of all of this, well, last time we met, last week we looked at a picture of prophecy. We looked at the things that are going on in the world. We, we took time from our study in the book of Hebrews 
this, this first day of the year, really was the last day of last year, to examine all that's going on and put it in the light of the Bible. And we see a lot of things as we're watching. They're lining up with end-time theology. What do we do then? What do we do in light of that? Well, in light of that, we must react in faith. We must be faithful to what God has called us to do and diligent about doing it. And so real faith, it's going to demand real risk, and that's the hard part. A couple of weeks ago when we were last in Hebrews, we looked at Joshua. We, not, we saw that there needs to be a letting go of that safety line that you've constructed in your lives. For Joshua, it was Moses. And we see in the book of Joshua those words that, again, had to really just touch his heart when, when God spoke to him and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And it's during that time when that which you depended upon in this world that is taken away from you that you realize now it's just between, it's just between me and God. Now, Joshua, he had pretty good training looking at Moses and seeing how God moved and the great things that God did and how God did great things through a man. But again, now Moses, my servant, is dead, and you're the one. And what happens when you're told that? Whoever it is that you've depended upon is gone, and God says, you're the one now. You're the one who needs to step up. You're the one who needs to exhibit the reality of God in the believer's life through trusting in him through faith. And so what did God tell him? We looked at it. Be strong and courageous. And the only reason you tell somebody four times to be strong and courageous, because they're scared to death. It's not a bad thing to be scared to death. Matter of fact, courage is overcoming that fear and prevailing in the Lord. And so Joshua, great example. So that risk, though, the risk, it's hard to let go. It's just hard to let go of our protection. It's hard to step outside of the cocoon. But the risk, the risk is in the letting go or the surrendering of control to God. To surrender the control of your life to God. I mean, he's got it all under control to begin with, but we hold on to certain aspects and certain parts of our lives because we can be so fearful. So to exhibit true faith, you must lay something out on the line. And some, we see in the scriptures, some gave all. In Acts chapter 7, there's Stephen. And Stephen is confronting the religious community who he knew had put the Lord to death. And he's got an opportunity to share the word of God, the words of salvation with them. One of the people that he was sharing with, had yet to come to faith, was the apostle Paul. His name was Saul at the time. And so Stephen, it doesn't say anywhere that he knew anything other than just to share God's word. And he had to know in the back of his mind what the results would be because he knew just as surely as they killed Christ, they were going to persecute God's people. He had to know that the stoning was on the horizon, but nonetheless, he stood strong in his faith. He held fast to what he knew to be right in the sight of God. And yes, he was stoned to death, but there was Jesus standing to receive him unto himself. So we are looking at the last test of faith seen in the saints of chapter 11. So far, we've seen Abel. He stayed strong in faith as he worshiped the Lord. Enoch, he held fast to faith as he walked with God. Noah, Noah was strong in his faith when he was, did what he was commanded to do without really even understanding. And again, I don't think he really understood what rain was. I don't think he understood what a flood was. And he probably didn't really understand what an ark was but he built because God said. 
Abraham, he stayed strong in his faith. When God told him to go, he went. And when God pointed at something very dear to him and said, I want that, your son, your only son, your son whom you love, I want to offer him as that offering that Abraham got up early for the purpose of being obedient to God. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we saw that they stayed strong in faith. When faced with their death, they held fast to God's promises. Moses, a man who decided not to walk with the world, but to seek the spiritual. He rejected Egypt and everything that the world had to offer, and he embraced what God had to offer him. And again, a great example of a man who holds fast to faith. Now our last test to determine if we, in fact, are holding fast to faith is courage. Is courage in our Christian life. The Christian who holds fast to faith has to be courageous during these days. Courage? Courage is a heart trust in God, even though the same heart tells you otherwise. It's the knowledge of a proper perspective of the human heart. We're told in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why I can't be directed by my feelings in my own heart. I've got to seek the Lord out. And again, it's based upon his word. But it's also based upon trusting in God with just getting the information, receiving the information that God gives me. As he speaks to me, just to, okay, Lord, this is the direction that I believe you are sending me and to take that step. And when that step is validated, then to take the next step and the next step. You never get the whole picture. God doesn't tell you exactly how... Now, we know how the big picture ends, but he doesn't tell you how your specific call is going to end or maybe even where the road goes. You have to trust in the Lord in that. And the thing about it is, you never get to see the glory of God unless you take that first step. And it always involves the going without knowing. Without knowing. Again, believing that you've heard from the Lord and taking that step, but also having trust in God that if it is, in fact, the wrong step, God will guide you where it is that you need to be. So the last time we saw our example, our first example of a courageous believer in Joshua, as I said, we see it in verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Where's the courage? The courage is not in the fight The courage is in the trust. And we looked at Joshua, we're not going to turn there today, but in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, when the Lord gave him the the orders to go and to confront that great city, that wall, well, it had walls constructed up to the heavens. They were impenetrable. They they, they could attack them, but they could never defeat him, at least in the mindset of man. And so God told them, I want you to go and march around for six days. On the last day, march around seven times. Give a shout, blow the horn, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. And so what they needed to be courageous in is the same thing we need to be uh, courageous in, is foolishness in the sight of the world. Can you imagine the first day of battle and the people up on the walls, Jerichoites, they're seeing, well, here comes the Jews, and we heard great things about their God. What's going to happen? Here they come. They're ready for battle. Be prepared. And they walk around in a circle, and they leave. What was the big deal with that? They, they must have been spying us out. Tomorrow's going to be when the real attack comes. And so here they come. They walk around in a circle, and they leave again. And after it happens five days, they're thinking, these people are fools. You know, the same thing your family, your friends who aren't believers think about you. 
These people, and, and the Israelites, they may even feel a little foolish, at least in the flesh, but the understanding, this is what God has called us to do, so this is what we are going to do. And on the last day, I imagine they kind of got bored, the Jericho, people of Jericho. Well, did they walk around in a circle? Yeah, they're still doing it. They've done it five times already, and they're continuing to walk. And then finally, they finish walking. Well, are they leaving? No. Matter of fact, a few people are starting to shout, and I, 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 hear a, I hear a horn blowing, and I'm starting to feel a little rumbling here. And I would imagine as those walls were collapsing, all of a sudden, the Jews were no longer looked as being foolish in their own sight, but also in the sight of their enemies because God was doing a great thing. And see, you've got to take that step of faith. Step of faith when it doesn't make sense. The step of faith that you know that God has called you to, maybe it's just a sharing of the word or getting involved in whatever it might be, but take that step of faith because although it may not make sense on the front end, I guarantee you if it's of the Lord, it'll make perfect sense on the back end. And we see, even in our Christian faith, the things that we do. Look at baptism. God says to go forth and to baptize, and that's what we do. Now, if you're a third party, you're looking over the wall from the house where we baptize, and you think, what are those people doing in the back? There's a bald guy in the middle of a pool, and he's dunking people under the water. It makes no sense. But we know that this is what God has called us to do, and we're being obedient. And again, it's one of those points of obedience that it's at that point that you know you're doing what God has called you to do. Again, as I've mentioned before, I get the best view of the baptism because I'm the bald guy in the pool. And just to see the intimacy between the person coming down in the pool and God and to see the tears in their eyes and to realizing, yeah, this doesn't really make sense according to the world's senses. But as I'm seeing this, I'm just seeing God's in this. This is just one of these things that we we do. We ought not to take it as routine, but we do in the Lord that the Lord... Well, the Lord blesses, and the Lord, the Lord even inhabits. And so, courageous faith, it trusts God on the basis of his word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, the next example that we're going to look at of held fast faith is courage in the face of grace. I'll explain what I mean in a little bit. Why? Because we can become cowards in the face of our flesh. Back to verse 31 in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now go ahead and turn over to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verse 1. It's where we have the story of this woman, Rahab. Rahab, she dwells in the walls of Jericho. She's one of the people that, well, God's coming up against. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So they were aware that Israel's a coming. They knew that they were coming, and they understood the great things that their God has been able to achieve through them. Again, their God is the one who overcame Egypt. Their God is the one who fought 
for them against their enemies and provided for them in the wilderness. And now they're realizing that they're at our very gates. Verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So here's a woman. She's understanding the great things that God has done. She's understanding the great things that God has done through his people. She's realizing those whom God has defeated and God has destroyed, and she's realizing, I'm on the wrong side here. And again, she's got few issues with it herself, because in the flesh, Rahab, she should be very concerned. She should have a lot to worry about with God's armies coming. See, we know her to be a prostitute. We know her to be a Gentile, and even worse than all that, she's an Amorite. An Amorite? Amorites are not long for the land in Exodus chapter 33, verse 2. And I will send, God speaking, my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite. But what we do know about Rahab, looking at the scriptures as a whole, is this great picture of grace that she can have faith based upon that grace. We see that she's used in Hebrews chapter 11 because she was willing to stand up before the unbeliever in the sight of this holy God that she doesn't really know personally but understands he does great things. What we do know is, well, it's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Rahab, she once conducted herself in the lust of her flesh, fulfilling the desires of her flesh and of the mind, and was by nature a child of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved Rahab, even when she was dead in trespasses, made her alive together with Christ. By grace she was saved. And we can plug all of our lives in there, and who we used to be, but God, and now who he has created us to be this day. That God, through his great grace and mercy, has strengthened us. He has forgiven us, and he has put to quiet our conscience that had convicted us. And because of that, we should have great courage in moving forward in what God has called us to do. Because if you just see yourself for the sinner that you are, and if you never deal with the sin as far as confessing that sin, repenting of that sin, and realizing that Jesus has done away with that sin, then you're always going to be looking at your weakness. You're always going to be looking at your failures. And when God calls you to do something, it's going to be, well, well, who am I? When God calls you to the mission field, whether it be in your backyard, your living room, or down the street, or on the other side of the world, you're going to be more concerned about your failures than God's victory. Faith, faith always depends upon the victories of God and not faith within the flesh because there's nothing that is ever found faithful in the flesh. And so you've got this woman, this woman that's a perfect example of us. She's far from God. This woman was a sinner. She was, she was a prostitute. 
This woman was a Canaanite. She was an enemy of the living God, but as all she did was exhibit faith. See, the good thing about God's great grace is it's much broader than the Jew and it's much stronger than our sin. It's to all of humanity, and it matters not how man has sinned, that if you come, as we sang that last song, if you come to the cross of grace, you'll be lavished with the love of God. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us, that means immersed us in, that we should be called children of God. Now, I may look at you and think, do I want to adopt any of these people into my family? Probably not. Most of you are even older than me. Not most of you, but a few of you. I've got enough, but God has looked upon you. and The great love that he has for you, he brought you into his family, and he calls you his own. It's an amazing concept, once again, of grace, that we're imperfect people, but as God looks upon us, God embraces us, not because of who we are or works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's all based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a whole, we need to see the people of the promised land, Jericho, of those people who have rejected grace. It's important to see that. At some point, God God spoke to them and offered them his saving hand. Where do you see that in the scriptures? We've spoken of it before, but go ahead and turn over to the left a little bit to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, as God is speaking to Abram, he kind of gives us a clue on what's going on here. He's going to be speaking of the future and what's going to happen in the future. And through this, we can extrapolate from what God is saying and get a picture of what he has been doing in the lives of the people in the promised land all the way up until this time. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, now God is here and he's speaking to Abram. It says in verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Well, we know exactly that's what happened with the children of Israel in Egypt. Verse 14, And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge... Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. And again, the book of Exodus tells us that's exactly what has happened. Verse 15, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites, which Rahab was, is not yet complete. So God says it's not time at that point to judge the people of the land. And so God is gracious. God does not desire that any should perish, but all should come to him. And so he's going to give them an opportunity. Now, above all of this, God is just. And so he doesn't just bring judgment upon a land. He gives them the opportunity. And so what is he doing? He's taking the children of Israel and setting them aside for 400 years in Egypt. Now, what is he doing to the tribes that are in the well, I should say the people who were in the promised land at that point. Well, from what I know of God, although they're sinners and they're contrary to him, he had to send them the word of God. Now, we're not told that anywhere in the scriptures. But he says that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
Well, when your iniquity is complete, it means that you have completely and totally rejected the grace of God. And the only way you can reject the grace of God is if the grace of God was presented to you. And the only way that the grace of God is presented is through the Word of God. Now, I believe, and whenever you hear me say, I believe, this is my interpretation, you can take it or leave it, but I believe that God sent prophets into that land. God gave them an opportunity, and they rejected the opportunity. That's why God can say and tell Moses and and, uh, Joshua, before Joshua entered into the promised land, to go and to destroy everybody within the land, because it was now time for judgment to come upon those who dwelt there. So remember, although because of sin, God has the right to destroy all, it's his nature to be just and to extend justice for the purpose of grace or extend justice for the purpose of judgment. Judgment, just justice demands that you pay a price. But as far as grace, we know grace is based upon the cross. God, once again, as far as we are concerned, he could have just forgiven all humanity and never sent anybody to hell. But that was contrary to his nature. It's contrary to who he is. Somebody somebody had to pay the price for sin. And we know that would be Jesus Christ upon the cross. It's because Christ paid the price for our sin upon the cross that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the Jerichoites, they did not believe and they're going to perish. Rahab She lived because she simply believed. And she expressed that belief through the hiding of the spies, but she believed to the basis that she was able to, based upon what she received, that God is doing a great thing through these feeble people, of which I'm a feeble person as well. And she understood that those who were in that city, they weren't long for the world, and she wanted to be part of those whom God has given eternity to. And so she acted in faith. So grace is a point of courage that I can be bold in the Lord regardless of who I have been in the flesh. And so the devil, he can bring accusation against accusation, and the majority of it's going to be true. But Jesus just says, he's mine. He's mine. By grace you have been saved through faith. And so I can preach the gospel. I can be obedient to what God has called me to do. 2018, what is God going to do? I don't know, but God, do a new work and start it here. Start it here within me that I'd have a fresh awareness of your grace. And based upon that fresh awareness of grace would be a greater degree of accountability, but also obedience in what you have called to do and to reach the people of this city and this area. And I pray that that would be all of our hearts. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21, it says, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and Savior. There is none besides me. Rahab understood that. With all the gods that existed in that land, she realized that there is nothing, there is no substance whatsoever But there's something about this God of Israel that caused her to want to know him, to cause her to to want to see him, to understand not just about him, but to enter into that relationship, to know him by experiencing him. So grace, again, that point of courage that we can all be bold because without the knowledge of grace in our lives, we just cower in the corner. Scripture tells us that not only was Rahab kept from death, as we all are, 
but she became the great-great-grandmother of King David and an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. So do you see how you have the opportunity even here today? If you're not born again, you can change that today. If you're a born-again believer and you're not really doing anything, if you're staying static and not grasping on to faith, you have an opportunity to make this day the day that you move forward in what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. Because Rahab did, and again, she changed her whole family tree because of it. Actually, because of her faithfulness, God used her to change all of humanity. And, And don't think that was just reserved for Rahab or people in the Bible. It's reserved for us today. The older I get, the more I see my generations and the effect that I'm able to have upon them. Children and children's children, and if God is gracious to allow me to stay around for my children's children and children, and I pray that I would have the same effect upon their lives, not as a perfect person, but they would see an imperfect papa, but an imperfect papa who seeks after God. And I pray that that would be a motivation in their lives. And I pray that God would use that in their lives to work through into others' lives. Because, see, the areas that you have influence, you need to pour yourself into those areas. I have influence there. I have influence in the church. But you've got influence in many areas as well. That's what, that's what this is all about. It's just simply people who've received from God. It's the purpose of church this morning, that you would be filled and you would go out there and to deliver. And when you become empty, come back and we'll fi- refill you free refill refills here at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. But you've got to see it that way. You have to understand that you'll be strengthened to go out and be courageous and, and see what God will do. Now, the next example that we have here of held fast faith is courage throughout the history. We see this in verse 32 to 34. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to fight the armies of the aliens. We've got this man Gideon. This man Gideon with just mustard seed faith. I don't know if I have that great of faith. Well, here's a man, Gideon. He didn't really exhibit a whole lot of faith, although he did exhibit faith. And that's all that God desires. And because of that, he was able to defeat the multitudes. The first, understand that there was a great work that God had called him to that was bigger than he. Now, when we were in Israel, we we stood upon Mount Carmel. When you stand upon Mount Carmel, you see the whole valley of, it's the Jezreel Valley, but it's also called the Valley of Armageddon. And it's huge. It's actually huge. But as you're standing there, you can look across and see some mountains off in the horizon that border the other side of the valley. And one of those mountains was the mountains that Gideon came over. Now, in Judges chapter 7, verse 12, and this is who God is calling Gideon to attack, it says, Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley. This would be the valley of Armageddon, or Jezreel Valley. And it says, They were as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore in the multitude. Now, this is something huge. This is something that a man is not able to do apart from God. 
And so now you know the magnitude of what the force before you is. And what do you do? You then ask God, what do I do? Lord, you want me to attack them. What do I do? And God says, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go get some trumpets, some clay pots, and torches and go after them. And you're thinking, say what? How, how is that going to happen? No, I mean, just think of this. If God has called you to do that, first of all, if he gave you a bazooka and a machine gun, you wouldn't be able to do anything. And then he says, I want you to attack them with just those miscellaneous things. Well, what do you do? well, a mighty man of faith, he steps out and attacks, but that's not Gideon. Gideon's only got mustard seed faith, and he says, again, say what? And now if you look over, and I'll just go ahead and read it, in Judges chapter 36 through 40, it says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And so you see the lack of faith there? God says, I'm going to save Israel by your hand and go and do it. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, you see what he's doing? It's kind of a backward way of questioning God. And so again, this isn't great faith. It just gets up and goes, but there is faith there. He says in verse 37, Look, I shall put a, a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you shall save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And so he's not walking in faith and trusting in God's word. He wants a sign, and it's not a good thing. And I've mentioned it before, but I've had people that tell me, Hey, I've laid the fleece out before the Lord. And I'll usually just smile and say that's nice, but I'll think in my head, that example was a lack of faith. That's not a good thing. You don't depend upon a fleece. You don't tell God, give me a sign. You go, tell me your word. Give me a command, Lord, and that needs to be good enough. Well, God is gracious, verse 38. And it was so when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all of the ground. And so what God is doing here is he's validating his word because he understands us. He understands who we are and he understands how we are. God has given him this word that is so overwhelming and he comes before God in a humble manner, but in a lack of faith, but in faith. And he asks that God would give him the sign and so God does. So you determine, okay, this is what God has. God wants me to attack. What do you do then? you go and muster the biggest army that you possibly can. That's what I would do. I try to gather the most worldly strength that I can. So that's what he does in chapter 7. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in a camp beside the well of uh, Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And again, when you go on the tour of Israel, we went down the Jordan River, and it's on the other side of those hills I just told you about, and there is a spring there that you get to see, and you get to kneel down, and you can either pull water up by your hand, or you can stick your face in this little creek. My wife and I didn't do any, because a whole bunch of people had their faces stuck in that thing, and it just didn't look very... Anyway, verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. He's saying, I'm not going to be glorified through this, God is saying. 
This is not going to magnify my word because you're magnifying a bunch of people. And the flesh and the spirit, they can never really coexist there. And so God is going to start whittling down. He says, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands. These Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid... Let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead, and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Can you imagine how your heart would sink? Uh, guys, uh, where are you going? And he goes, I'm scared to death. I'm out of here. And so all of a sudden he sees that his army's been reduced, but there's still too many. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that to whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, who sticks their face in this um, spring, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. And all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. What's the difference? The difference is, we don't really know. There's a lot of guesses, but it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is they've gone from 30,000 now to 300. And God's going to tell them, this I can work with. This I can be glorified through. And we know that Gideon, he moved forward in the face of overwhelming odds. And God did great things. This man who had little faith. But what is God doing? In his little faith, don't look down your nose at Gideon. And I didn't really mean to do that myself. Because my faith isn't really a whole lot stronger than his. And what is he doing? He's learning to trust in God. And these men are learning to trust in God. And 300 of them, 300 out of 30,000 got it. They got it. They learned the lesson. And because they learned the lesson, they got to see the glory. The, the, The other guys didn't get to see the glory. 27 or 20, 29,000, what is it? 700, is that right? Yeah. They didn't get to see the glory, but the 300 did. You know what? I was scared too, but I didn't leave. You know what? When they said to get a drink, I just got a drink. I didn't think of putting my face or my hand in the water or anything like that, and I just kind of hung around. And see, God does great things with people who just kind of hang around. Not that you hang around and do nothing, but just present yourself for his service, not understanding exactly what's going to happen. Now we've got a few more people here back in Hebrews that we're just going to look at quickly. First, we have humble faith of Barak. When called and commanded and even given the outcome, what God was going to do, Barak's priority was not of himself, but God and his word. And what Barak did, and you can, again, look down your nose at Barak, because Barak, the prophetess Deborah, told him what God was going to do and want him to do, and he says, well, I'm not going unless you go with me. And she goes, fine, but then the people of the land are going to say that a woman delivered Israel. But see, what Barak understood was, is that this woman was a prophetess. And that's the fact of the matter, because the Bible states that. Now, who is a prophet or a prophetess? They're the avenue through which the word of God comes. And what you need to see this man, what he had faith in, was God's word. Let not God's word depart from me. And because he was faithful, God achieved a great victory. Proverbs 22.4, By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. 
And then you have Samson. He had faith in that he returned to the Lord. In Judges 16, 28 through 30, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, Lord God, remember me? And I would imagine that would be a pretty difficult thing to say because I'm not God, but I'd say, I remember you. You were the one who was always testing me. You were the, only, you were the one who always had one step in the church and another step in the world. You were the one who went after these harlots within the land. You were the one who took the power that I gave you for granted. Yeah, I remember you very well. But Samson, again, is appealing to the grace of God. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. They had put his eyes out. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the death that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And so here was a man who returned to the Lord, and the Lord used him even one last time. And then with Jephthah, we see foolish faith. Judges chapter 11, verses 30 through 31, and Jephthah made a vow. Now keep in mind, a vow is not required by God, but once you make a vow, you are required to keep it. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And we know that his daughter is the one who came out of the house. God used this man because he had faith to be used, even though he was a foolish man. Did he offer his daughter as a burnt offering? Nowhere in the scriptures do we told that that happened. More than likely, he dedicated her to the Lord, and she never married and never bore children. We've got King David, and this is faith that fights. Faith that fights because he's a man who understands the power of God and the might of God through a common person. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of the Philistines. He understands what God is able to do. Matter of fact, later on in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, God will say, David was a man after my own heart. And then in Samuel, we have faith that is just simply faithful. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, when she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, this would be Samuel's mother, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And she did do that and he did serve the Lord. All of these rich examples that we have of people just reacting to God through faith. It says in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. What is it that you're called to do? Have you taken that step of faith? Or are you afraid? It's okay to be afraid, but courage and the understanding of who God is to be courageous in God overcomes that fear. It's when we overcome that fear, the body of Christ is when we realize the power of God. Because how is the power of God revealed? It's revealed through his people. He dwells inside of us. 
We've been given rich promises in the scripture. If God is for us, who could be against us? The answer is nobody. And the only thing that can stop what God wants to do is a disobedient people. Far be it from us that, that, would be, that we would be accounted amongst those who are disobedient. To the best of our ability, we'd be in God's word. To the best of our ability, we would pray and seek what God wants and understand God does great things through weak, humble things so that people, beings, so that he would be glorified. God, use us. Use us. May we be a people today who are sold out to you. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us your word, that you have not held back anything, that, God, we can know you personally. We can understand your desires for our lives. And, Father, we can, we can be used just as surely as those who have gone before us were used in great ways. And so, Father, we just thank you once again for your word that speaks to us and guides us in these areas. But I pray, Father, just as you were faithful in your word and convicting us of your word, that, Father, we would have a response to your word. It's so necessary to not just hear God's word, but there's got to be a response to it. And so, Father, I pray for the people that are here this morning. I pray, Father, for well, one person and the next. You've met each and every one of them in a very personal way. And so, Father, as you have met us in this place today, I pray that we would have a heart to respond in obedience to what you have called us to do. And so, Father, I pray that the people of this church would consider these things. Consider these things and then move forward as we go into this new year and see the great things, Lord, that you will do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? For those who have signed up to go to Israel, there is a meeting. It's going to be about 1230 at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. Um, Tonight, we're back in 2 Kings Bible study, so we'll be meeting here tonight at 6 o'clock. Just keep in prayer. We're going to be expanding a little bit as far as cameras and stuff. We have a pretty good-sized following. Uh, We're probably going to have about double the people that were here that have watched us on the Internet, on uh, Facebook. We stream live on Facebook now. So just keep that up in prayer and the people who who partake of of the Word of God. There's the potential for all over the world. It's kind of an amazing thing in this uh, time that we live in. If anybody needs prayer, wants to know more about a relationship with the Lord, I'll be in the back and somebody will be in front. God bless you.
If you need prayer, there'll be a couple up front. God bless you.